Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode seven. Wow, we really are. This is the last of the interview episodes. It is. For the season. I know. It's gone very quickly. It's gone very, very quickly. Next week, we're going to have our annual special hostful, so stay tuned for that. But for this episode, you talk to the lovely Type A, Elisa. Yeah. I don't know if she described herself as Type A. (laughs) I know. Elisa is, she wrote to me with a question that I felt like was very relevant to a lot of people. And that is, she was someone who kind of prides herself, she is someone rather, who prides herself on getting things done, you know, and uh, taking these, taking ideas that they discover in the world and applying them running, well, yeah, you know. Running with them. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know. That's I, what I meant by type A. I know. It's not an offensive thing. I'm just saying like that's sort of yeah. why you described it that way. Mm. Uh, you know, a go-getter, someone who's constantly on the move, constantly looking to kick another goal or, or do another thing. And as a result of, you know, some things, some changes in her life that we get into in the conversation, she has discovered slow living. Mm. And is really struggling with the tension between being that person who gets things done and and enjoys that about herself, but also slowing down. What a smack in the face slow living would be for for those sorts. I don't, are you a type, you're definitely not a type A person. Not anymore, but you think back to what I was like. Yeah. Like back in the day when the kids were little, I could never, ever just be. I must admit you were, you had definitely type A tendencies yeah i think mine were driven more by perfectionism yeah than necessarily and, feeling better about myself and perfectionism is a, ty- a certain type a attribute as well sure i guess yeah. it is yeah yeah uh so that for me is what it what it was i mean my my first reaction when i heard about mm. slow living was to be offended that that and that's what i mean that's what it must feel like yeah do you know what i mean like oh wow this is opposite to what i'm doing right now like, that's right paralleled and Almost. we kind of get we get into that because yeah. I, I I really don't like that people discover slow living and feel judged or mm-hmm. they feel like they're doing life wrong as they are. Mm. And Elisa and I really unpack what it is she thinks slow living is and whether or not there is another way of viewing that is actually much better aligned with herself and how she operates in the world and, and the way she prefers to operate in the world, but also allowing her to explore those parts of slow living that have captured her attention, that are mm. appealing and that are beneficial, mm. not only to her but to her family as well. So it's it's really a conversation focused on values, focused on, again, like many of the conversations we've had this season, questioning what slow living actually is. Is for them. Yeah, and I think that's probably mm. been the thread through this entire season has been questioning what slow living actually is to us as an individual. Individuality within the slow slash intentional movement. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not a prescribed list of things that you need to do. Mm. And yet I think that's what we kind of are looking for when we first discover it because we don't know any other way. Uh, And then once you get to this point of of questioning a little more deeply, the tension starts to become really obvious. So it's, it's such a great conversation. And as everyone this season... Elisa completely shows up and she's so honest and open and I was really touched by this conversation. Awesome. Let's get into it. Elisa, hello. How are you? 
I'm great, Brooke. How are you? I'm so happy to be talking to you and to to have you, you know, put your hand up and, and volunteer to have this conversation with me. I'm very grateful. Well, I'm very grateful to have been asked. So thank you. You're very welcome. Now, um, you wrote me this email that I think got to the heart of what so many people, myself included, who have discovered slow living struggle with. And it is perhaps you find slow living appealing because you are a fast paced person. You are someone who overachieves in things, who really strives. And you find slow living and you find the idea of that letting go, of that shedding really appealing. And you throw yourself into it in a very fast paced kind of way. And you're trying to find that that balance, I guess, between being who you are and also enjoying the benefits of living a, a slower paced life. Is that sort of the the heart of where you're at? Absolutely. I, I would say I started delving into this about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was really keeping up a pace that was not doing good things for my health or my relationships. And it felt like the more I tried to do, the more I felt like I wasn't keeping things together in a way that I really enjoyed. I was raising my kids and I'm married and I work and friendships I'm committed to and and family relationships I'm committed to. And I felt like I was always doing, 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 doing. And yet the joy was not as much as I, I wasn't enjoying the joy as much as I wanted to. And my to-do list was too long and it wasn't, it was always too long to get completed in a day. And that was adding stress. Mm -hmm. It really hit me when, um, I have an annual physical, which of course I had delayed doing because I was so busy. And she hit me with some not so great, you know, not so great health news that was completely because I wasn't really focused on myself or thinking about how I was doing things. It was all about getting done. So with that, I really started to take a hard look at how I was actually living and my my process of living. And to peel away the onion a bit to see what was underneath all these layers of busy. Um, so that has meant some you know, some eating changes, some um, relationship changes, some scheduling changes. But yet I, I don't feel the progress enough. And that can be very discouraging. It was as if I wanted to take everything out of my house and do the Marie Kondo. And yet it still didn't feel done. It never felt done. And I know that part of the problem is feeling like there's a done. I feel stuck in not feeling like things are changing. I think that's my frustration often that I am doing things differently. I am taking good steps, um, but yet I don't really feel uh, that there's enough of a change sometimes to keep going with it. So it's sort of the the slowness of the process is the frustration almost. Exactly right. The, The slow of slow is very hard. Yeah, and it is. I mean, when you are you're a doer, you are you are someone who takes pride in getting things done. Um, and slow living that is one of the frustrations of it because there's like it's a lot of gray area, you know, in in between where you are and where you want to be. And I think that um, it's really hard. Um, and like where where you find yourself is where I think a lot of people listening will have or will currently be finding themselves. Um, so first, I think it's okay to be a a doer you know you slow living and being a doer being like a type a kind of go 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 personality don't need to be mutually exclusive and i think that's important to acknowledge because you don't need to change who you are essentially in order to live more slowly it's maybe shifting your mindset on some of the the things that drive you but 
I know a lot of people and some people would say that I at least have moments of being that kind of go, go, go person. And yet I still feel like on the whole, I live under the umbrella of this kind of slow living philosophy. When you discovered this idea of slow living, you know, was that as a direct result of looking for um, for changes after speaking to your doctor or was this something you were aware of before? About the same time, I, w- I would say, you know, this comes in waves because we all kind of got hit by the decluttering bug yes. a, a couple of years ago and everybody started thinking that purging all our stuff was the answer. And I've done that so many times and I knew that that wasn't the whole story. It was the letting myself get so busy that I wasn't kind of taking essential steps to take care of my health, um, really take care of my home instead of just filling my home, but just appreciating it, repairing it, nurturing it. We live in a very old farmhouse. So parts of it are 17th century, parts of it are 19th century. It's a really quirky house. And so it needs a lot of love and it needs a lot of creativity sometimes to just figure out how to make it beautiful and and keep it in good shape. I know there have been times when I have just not really paused in my own home to enjoy the things that I have collected to be in here. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I remember thinking that I really hadn't sat in my dining room very much that I was so excited about when we bought the house because I was always running around in and out of the kitchen and either getting things for people or um, planning meals at sporadic times because our schedule was too crammed. And I really just wanted to sit in my dining room and enjoy my dining room. So one of the things that we um, have prioritized more is sitting down as a family and all sitting down. And that you know, th- those kinds of moments were the things that were lacking because we let ourselves get busy and overwhelmed and overscheduled on a relentless hamster wheel of of life. And it wasn't just about the things. It was really just about the feeling that life did not have to be this way. Mm. All of my busyness was a choice I had made. You know, thinking more proactively about my food was a big shift because I could easily just fool myself into thinking that the more coffee I drank, the more I was actually consuming. But coffee isn't actually food. I did have to finally admit that. So I, I'm happy to say that I am six months off coffee and, wow. and yeah, and that was after years and years of constant drinking and I, I feel I feel much better for it and I sleep better for it. But those are the kinds of things that I had to really delve into to figure out what was really the problem. I think it would be really interesting for you to go back to maybe Alyssa of two years ago and see where she was at, you know, really dig into what your life looked like two years ago. And um, you have have taken that realization that you're making choices and now you're making different choices. Like that's phenomenal. I mean, it's so easy to stay comfortably stuck, even in a position that is not good for us. Like we, we've all done it. We all do it. I think you maybe need to take a minute to pat yourself firmly on the back and say, hey, I've done really good stuff in the last year or two. I appreciate that. I would say giving myself a pat on the back is definitely something I'm not great at. Yeah. It's like pausing to recognize the things that are beautiful or favorite things or whatever. It's something I don't necessarily always allow myself to do. Okay. Time does this funny thing. I've discovered when we do make time and create opportunity to slow down and pay attention, time stretches. Our experience of time does change if we are somebody who decides, who chooses actively to make 
moments every day for contentment, paying attention to the the moment that's right in front of us, you know, to tilt all the way in. Um, and there's been studies done that people who experience awe, you know, the, the sensation, the emotion of awe regularly have a completely different perception of time than people who don't. That's something that I'd also love to see uh, and it sounds like you're already kind of experimenting it with it yourself, is creating a, a weekly standing or date or, you know, a time where you set aside 30 minutes every week to do something that will inspire awe in you. You know, whether it, if you're a gardener or if you love to go hiking or if you, you know, you enjoy cooking. So you head out to a farm or you grow something that you can then eat, whatever it is that inspires awe in you, um, creating an opportunity every week to do that might be a, a nice way to build that habit of finding contentment and, and beauty in the now rather than worrying about what's next. Because what's next will come, whether we're worrying about it now or not. When you're used to kind of go, 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 it, it's hard to not feel that even when you start these practices, if you fall off or you slip, or you shouldn't even think of it as a slip really, but if you stop or if you get interrupted, or whatever, there's that old feeling of, ugh, and just not doing it again. I, that that feeling is very hard to conquer too. I was, for a while, I was doing really well. Because um, one of my goals was really just to get outside more. So I started walking a lot with my kids and also by myself, just to get in the habit of, I go outside. I'm a person that goes outside and that's a natural thing. So either it's a walk after dinner, because we have a long driveway, so we'll go get the mail after dinner. And just take a bike ride down the driveway and back for my, my little five-year-old because that tires him out. Or, or uh, a walk after school just to talk about our day and get and just reset. Or I might take a walk at lunch just to get outside and get some air. Those habits are slow to build, but I, I will say those have been worth it. It's when they stop and it's hard to restart. Is it hard to restart, do you think, because you feel like you've failed or because, you know, it sort of speaks to that self-doubt voice that's saying, well, this this was never enough in the first place, so what's the point? Yes, all, all those things. It's like a diet, you know, that's why diets are so destructive. You get don't get where you're supposed to be going and you just give up while minimizing whatever progress you've made. Instead of thinking of it as I've made better choices, I'm making healthier choices, I'm doing things better incrementally. So yes, habits don't have to be perfect, but it often feels like they should be. Mm. Yeah, and I think that word should is an interesting one, um, particularly when combined with the word enough, which you've used a bit and you used in your email as well. Yes. This idea of, you know, it's not enough. The changes aren't enough. The progress isn't enough. I'm not enough. I think there's a lot of stories going on um, that maybe you're telling yourself about what enough looks like um, and even what slow living should look like. As you've talked about before, there's a lot of marketing and imagery around kind of gives you the decorator's version of all of these things instead of the emotional effects of it all. And that can be very destructive to people. It's why marketing in general is so hard on all of us as far as standards of beauty we try to achieve and all, all those things. Um, so yes, I think a lot of that does creep in and instead of thinking about what it could look like for me or feel like for me, probably more importantly. I think the feel of it is, is something that most of us need to concentrate on more, to be honest, because, you know, 
we live in a very visual marketing driven world. So we find this idea appealing and then we go researching it and then we find social media profiles and magazine articles and the heart of the idea gets overwhelmed by the visual of the idea. Uh, so I get it and I, I myself constantly have to keep unpacking that and unlearning that exact same lesson. It's not about what it looks like. It's what it feels like. It's not about what it should be like. It's what it could be like for you. I also think it might be helpful to start to think about what you would like life to feel like for you today. Like, don't do it today, but like right now, you don't need to wait until a certain set of circumstances have, have come into play, you know, until you've decluttered everything or until the kids are a certain age or until whatever it might be. Um, to sort of really start to put a, a sense of feeling into what you want life to look like. Um, and even if the idea, the word slow, might even be causing you to feel constricted. Um, and instead of using slow, maybe shift it out for the word intention, you know, an intentional life, um, a life that you're choosing rather than a life that sort of is, is summed up in a word that maybe doesn't quite fit in your personality or your values. You know, maybe slow is the word that's actually kind of getting you you caught. Okay, I think you may be onto something. Um, intention does have a different ring to me than, than slow. And slow does great a bit yeah. at me and because it, it feels counterintuitive and unattainable. Um, and intention does make me pause a little bit more and, and reflect in a different way. I, I like that a lot. So thank you. That's okay. Um, and part of all of this was realizing how much of my routine and my day was on autopilot. I almost felt like I couldn't change things. So feeling like I could change was very important. And I, you know, making just small little decisions, like I'm going to do X and then doing it was very, very empowering, you know. I, I, I can do this. I will do this. I am choosing to do this. Um, instead of feeling like trapped in a hamster wheel, that was all very important in this process because um, when you hear that your habits are not contributing to great health long-term, um, that can either feel very, or you can say, you know, no, this is not the story. This is not how this is going to go. I can do this. And for whatever reason, it resonated a little bit more this time around than it has when I've I've gotten other um, admonitions from about my my life and how I, I've been I've been dealing with it. Um, but I do I do like the the reminder to focus on intention. Yeah, because I think as you said, if you're kind of trying to build a life around a word that doesn't quite reflect you know, your mode of operation, your energy, the way that you exist in the world, that can be really, really detrimental. And it could it could be at the, the heart of why you're feeling no contentment at the changes that you've already made. So scratch what I said before. Don't ask yourself what slow living could feel like for you. Ask yourself what an intentional life could feel like for you. Brainstorm ideas. Get as vague or as specific as you want and just start to, to put down anything that comes to mind when you ask yourself that question and then go back, maybe even another day, a different day, and and cross out the things that you've put down because you thought you should put them down, you know, because that's what you thought that slow living or intentional living should look like. Only highlight the things that resonate with you because I think that, that that's going to be what your version of an intentional life looks like, uh, you know, not one that you'll find mm -hmm. on anyone else's Instagram feed or in a book or on a podcast. 
Um, well, one, one thing I will say that was very um, important, I think, for me was that we talk a lot about our why. And as a mom, you know, you always think I, I want to I be here for the kids. I want to live longer, healthier, better around my kids. I want to model good habits for them. And I realized as I had those very thoughts that while all that is true, um, something very fundamental had to just be doing it for myself. Uh, that you know, and that that to give myself a little bit more importance, because you know we all we all you know when you're in a family or you're in any relationship, you, you're doing so much for other people because you love them and you want to support them that you it's easy to kind of forget that you are you're a standalone person in and of yourself. Yes, and and that and you have some rights and responsibilities to yourself too. So I I would say that was a big um, that was something that was kind of important for me to give up to the idea that this was all about um, other people because it really wasn't. It really just had to be, had to start and in some ways end with me in order to really work. Yeah. I mean, you're obviously a very strong-willed person, somebody who um, if the motivation, if, if, if the drive is there, you are going to deliver on this, this change that you want to make. And I think that's that's amazing to be able to have that, to recognize the power of your choices um, and to intentionally make them is, is such a fantastic foundation on which to be building this, this life. And it's so interesting that you kind of shifted into talking about your why then, because when I was thinking about our conversation, there was a, a line in your email where you said, you're, you know, I'm emerging from the cloud of motherhood at the moment. And I think that that's sort of a, a part of what you've just sort of spoken to, this, this idea of reclaiming your personhood on the other side of that really urgent, very young children kind of era of, of mothering um, or parenting. And um, I, I think that that's important to acknowledge in relation to the question of what is my why? And I was curious, have you done any, um, have you done any exercise to uncover your personal values? I mean, do you know what your personal values are? Yeah, I, I actually think that's still processing. Because I, I've been, I've been scattering thoughts as I've been going through this, and I've had to question a lot of my, myself a lot, which is why I had to revisit the why in, to begin with. Because I, I felt like I had a very ready why, mm-hmm. and I, then I had to kind of check and like, is that really, is that really comfortable? What you're saying to yourself when these answers come so easily to our heads and mouths. I have a tendency to sometimes tell myself what I think I should hear. So I I think that's still, that's still a process. I mean, yes, I think I know in general the values that are important to me and our family and what we try to really prioritize with our kids. But on the other hand, I think I've really been living in a way that's not in, in alignment with that. I have to walk the walk a little bit more before I can say these are really my values. Because my question to myself often is, if these are your values, is this really where you would be mm. when I finally kind of tell myself this is this is this is it? I want that to be a pretty certain thing. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. It, it's it's hard to say because um, you know at the tip of our times, what are my values? Um, Strong family relationships, honesty, love, 
those very important fundamental things. But yet, I've not been honest to myself about how I've been caring for myself. I haven't been acting very lovingly towards myself. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the kind of whirling dervishness of life has has caused me to not always act lovingly towards other people that I love very much. Um, so, you know, those are still values, but I need to practice a little more really holding them near and dear. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a couple of things. I think that our the way our ability to live in our values can be fluid depending on where we're at in life too, you know, and I think that parenting young kids is absolutely one of those times where um, we may not be able to show up for those values in the way that we would necessarily like. Yes. And that's that's just life. I mean, accepting and acknowledging that and embracing it um, can ironically kind of bring us closer to them in some ways um, to living those values. But um, I, I, I think that that might be something that would be beneficial to kind of dig into. Uh, and if you're open to it, I've got an exercise that I'd like to send to you that, that I've done myself and that I have sort of worked through with other people that helps them to really ask some questions about their values and then forget what we think, again, what those values should look like in our life. You know, one of my values is adventure. So I'd be, I used to think, well, I need to climb mountains and, you know, go on these amazing like adventures and and stuff. And and that's just not realistic for the majority of my life. So what does adventure look like in a real version of my life. It could look like viewing life as an adventure. It could look like going on a magical mystery tour on a Sunday with my family and, you know, just seeing what what the day brings. Uh, So finding what those values are, those things that light you up, but then figuring out how to stand in them in life as life is now, not some idealistic version of our lives. And I think that... I I would love to see that exercise. Great. I will send it through to you. That is absolutely a thing. You know, it's it's the the aspirational version of mm-hmm. you versus the, the you that will actually show up every day. Exactly. You know, you know, my my uncaffeinated self with crazy hair at five o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to pack lunch. That's the person that's going to show up every morning. It's not going to look perfect and beautiful, and 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 that's okay. Yeah. Because that's life. Exactly. And you're showing so up. That, that that is the person whose values I need to cover. Yeah, and I'm still showing up. Um, it, that's exactly right. Okay, so I'm really excited then to to send that through to you and see what you kind of excavate through that that process because I think you're really close. I think you've done so much work that you haven't yet um, given yourself credit for. So I I'm going to I I think that you're someone who um, maybe rise to the occasion if I give you homework, but. <laughs> I'm going yeah, to give you. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you some homework. If you if you told me the key to slow living was reading a stack of books floor to ceiling, I would just I would just die of homelessness. <laughs> that I don't that I know how to do. It's it's the it's the point, and one of the reasons I I especially liked your approach is because you really did talk a lot about struggle, and you didn't present things as it's done now. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and uh, you know, just follow these simple steps and it'll be done. And that's not, that's just not, it, it, it sounds so wonderful, but it's just, we all know that's not realistic, even though it sounds so wonderful and so tempting. It's just not, it's not realistic. Yeah. 
It's, I, I think it's learning to embrace the undoneness of it all. Like life is messy, yes. you know, life is messy yes. and there will always be loose ends and we'll always be pursuing something, you know, to, to make an improvement or to make a shift. And I think that that's life. I, I truly do. I think that that growth, that messy kind of uneven growth is life. I agree. I mean, sometimes it's about right-sizing the mess, you know, not overestimating or underestimating the mess, just accepting it for what it is in whatever degree and just seeing it realistically is is really the important thing. No, I agree with you 100%. So, okay, your homework. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to write yourself a letter from two your two-year-ago self write a letter and explain what life is like now. Maybe maybe list out what your life was like two years ago and say, I remember when this was my day. I remember when this is what I ate and this is how I cared for myself or, or didn't care for myself. Here I am today and this is what it's like and I want you to know that it's good and that I'm however you feel about it, you know. And and then I'd, I'm going to send you this values exercise and, uh, and, and get you to complete that and see what, what comes out. And then as an optional third, <laughs> think about what this idea of intentional living could feel like for you. And like I said, oh, just, you, you, just, you just needed to frame that as extra credit. Okay. Yeah, well, that's right. For extra credit. <laughs> um, just brainstorm everything that you think intentional living could feel like for you and then come back to it a day or two later and, and with a, you know, a bit of separation and start to ask yourself, which of these things are from my heart and which of these things are things that I've, I've written down because I thought I should. Um, and I think that that might kind of give some shape to, to where you're at now and also help over time to continue to make these choices and these changes that you're already already making. But hopefully just to reframe it in a way that you feel proud of where you are now and you feel content with where you are right now you know, turning up for those those moments and being all in and not worrying about what's next because it's going to come anyway. So given the conversation that I had with Elisa, as far as I was concerned, there was only one person that I wanted to talk to. And who was that? Jackie Carr. Yes. Jackie is backy. Sorry. Nice. Sorry, that was no. terrible. Yeah, Jackie. Maybe back. get back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jackie, the reason I, I thought Jackie was the most obvious and amazing choice is because she is a lot like Elisa, mm-hmm. in that she is someone who she hustles, mm. like she works hard, yeah, and she works with intention and she works in alignment with her values and continues to struggle with that openly you know she talks about that constant recalibration that constant learning and trying and failing and learning and and she does that open like through really her social openly. media is like you know what yeah it's very obvious of that eternal struggle almost absolutely but then she also has this desire that i've spoken with her about previously to adopt some slow living principles in her life and like that tension hmm. It's no joke. It's really, like we said at the beginning of the episode, like it, it can feel very confronting. Mm. So Jackie and I speak about that and her experience in trying to manage that, that tension and how it changes over time. Um, we also, I also make a Simpsons reference, which was... Okay. Yeah. So what, look, wait, wait for that one. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, but we also talk, of course about values because that is one of the core components of the work that Jackie puts into the world is learning what your values are and thinking about your legacy 
you know, what you want your life to stand for and creating ways of bringing those values and that legacy to your actions today. Yeah. As opposed to making it this big picture, long-term thing that doesn't feel practical or relevant in the day-to-day. Totally. Yeah. So it's not only you hope that Elisa gets something out of this conversation with Jackie, but hopefully people out there also learn can learn something. Oh, totally. Because I think my conversation with Elisa was very relatable to Mm. a huge number of people. And that's what I think, like you, as the seasons progress, I think someone, you know, you you could, you could sort of slot yourself into one of those seven interviews almost, you know what I mean? Yeah, or more. I think, I I mean, at least that's my hope. Yeah. And that was your purpose of, of, of doing this season. Yeah. Is to try and, yeah, I think it's worked. Oh, I hope so. Well, let's, uh, let's hear from Jackie. Okay. Jackie, hello. How are you? I'm so great. Hi, Brooke. How are you? So good. So, so good. So excited to chat with you. Um, So I want to get straight into it because I think that there's a lot of juiciness that you and I can kind of dig into with my conversation with Elisa. There's a couple of reasons why I knew that you would be the perfect match to to come on and, and chat. You know, you're the values and legacy queen, as far as I'm concerned. And, <laughs> but you're also, you're someone who has so much ambition and, um, like you're a goer, you're someone who works incredibly hard in your business and in your life. I mean, straight off the bat, do you find tension between, you know, wanting to learn how to, to be present and to find contentment in the moment and being someone who works incredibly hard? Yes. And yes, I would say, I agree with you. I am a doer. I do like to do. And it definitely is part of my, I would say, genetic makeup as well as what makes me happy. And yet what I've found, especially in the past couple months, as my pendulum swings, it swings really hard. So I'll take, you know, five days off to go float the green river here in the US, totally unplugged. And you're moving on a raft. You're going pretty slow. And then I come back on a Monday and it is full speed ahead. And so something I'm playing with in regards to that tension or what I would call that swing is learning how to create what I call buffers in my calendar through all my experiences, whether I'm speaking on a stage or floating a raft and really building around space to integrate what just happened versus jumping right to the next thing. And I think that's such an important idea. Like I talk of the idea of margin and I think it's much the same that you actually need to develop that space in which to expand or, as you said, to just kind of marinate in what has just happened, to really think on the event that you've just Mm. been to or think on the weekend that you've had or, you know, so how do you do that? I mean, in terms of your calendar, in terms of your headspace, have you gone to the to the point of actually putting buffer time in your calendar? First of all, you nailed it with what you said around intentionally choosing. The way to build buffers is intentionality and choice. And so for me, I have built buffers. I've played with buffers around perhaps client calls. So another person can't book for another 20 minutes. That way I can get up, walk around, things like that. When it comes to, um, say, next month, I've blocked all Fridays. No Fridays, no work. And so they're full buffer Fridays to see what it feels like to integrate and marinate in my week. 
What I'll tell you as well, though, in regards to the why of the buffer is when I go from one experience to another, it's hard for me to then feel grounded and aligned in what matters to me when perhaps everything's already placed there because I did it three months ago. And so it does sometimes lose the intentionality or the choice when I filled my calendar a while ago, not knowing who I would be in three months. What questions do you ask yourself when, if you you have a, a strong sense of your values, and I spoke to Elisa towards the end of our conversation about doing yes. some exercises to define her values. And I think that that's something that kind of appealed to her because she mentioned that she's coming out of this cloud of motherhood of, you know, young children and having to re-identify her personal values and her identity, yes. I guess. Let's say you've got these values in place uh, and you would like to start questioning, you know, where you're landing and where maybe it's a bit of a miss. What what What's that process like? Oh, I have a pretty deep question. <laughs> I've been asking myself on repeat, though it might sound daunting, I want you guys to consider it. It's when I look at what's in my calendar, or perhaps when I, let's look back what the things I've done. And I ask myself, you know, Jackie, that's what I talk to myself. Jackie, do you like yourself when you do these things? And I really look at the appreciation and the gratitude and the joy, did I have it in the moment? Did I have it leading up? Did I have it after? And so I can start to even look at what is providing me with energy versus what's depleting me. And I find my answers lately have been, you know, I love the career I've created. I designed it. I'm an entrepreneur. I own this business. And yet I can get overwhelmed. I can overbook and overthink. And when I do that, what are those moments and those catalysts that create that? Usually there's a scarcity mode that creeps in, an old pattern, um, money drama, or something's really shiny. And I say yes out of excitement and I forget to look that I promised Chris, my husband, I wouldn't book things on Sundays, but it's so fun. When I do show up to that thing on Sunday, sometimes I'm like, oh, dang this is the day for my family. And I don't like who I'm being. When I look back, what did I miss? Did I miss a park date with my children? Did I miss a Sunday to do nothing? Because sometimes that's far off in a doer's day and a doer's monthly calendar is a nothing day. And so do I like myself and what I'm choosing to show up in? And of course, does it align to my values? And what have I learned about myself? That question of do I like myself when I'm doing these things is that's a heavy hitting question, <laughs> you know. And I know. Um, <laughs> I, I warned. I warned you. You did. You totally did. I'm just sitting here going, oh man, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> I'm going to be chewing on that for for weeks. I can guarantee you. Uh, but I, I think that it gets to the heart of so many of these questions, you know. Because when I was going through the process that Elisa is going through at the moment of kind of re-identifying who I am and what's important to me, I had to come mm -hmm. to grips with the realization that A, I didn't know um, at all who I was yeah, uh, and, and B, what was left I, I didn't really like very much. And that's a, like, that's a, that's a steep hill to climb, um, you yeah. know, and I think that Partly the reason that I recommended to Elisa that she write a letter to herself from now to past her was to to start to 
tap into some of the really wonderful things and changes that she has already made in her life and to start to develop that sense of self-esteem and pride and, you know, the ability to look at, at the changes she has made as important things. Is that something that, that you've had to work through, that kind of developing of your sense of self and liking yourself? Oh, my God, yes. And what I'm hearing too with Elisa is, you know, when you're not in a pattern of self-appreciation, self-love, liking yourself, to call it what it is, you aren't necessarily going to be great at it out of the gate when you look back. You might be in a pattern of looking at what you did wrong, looking at what you could have done better. I know that's what I used to do. It was honestly just recently, and I know you said, oh, Lisa's a new mom looking at her children, that I am remembering that everything we've done thus far is an experiment and is a way to learn more about ourselves, whether it was great or not so great. I watch my young children learn often what they like and don't like, and they have no qualms telling us and screaming about it. I love that about them and their imagination and their willingness to be curious. And so when I looked back recently, I looked back with so much love for all the interesting persons I was, the many phases of Jackie, the many phases of our 20s or 30s, depending 40s, 50s of when you're listening, when you're looking back. And can I honor that I did the best I could with what I knew then? And can I look at who I've become because of that decision? I look back with compassion on that younger version of myself that was trying really hard, that was trying to figure out, that was curious, that didn't have the right answers. And that softening actually allows me to soften my approach with myself now. I think that's so beautiful <laughs> and so important. And it, it allows you to evolve. You know, it, it's yeah. not like it's not a forced thing. It's not a, a negative thing. It's a positive softening and shifting and opening and reevaluating. All of those things are a positive thing rather than any wrapped up in any kind of failing or mistake. I love that. I think it's so important. Let's let's be real. Like that took me a long time to get there. And I still stumble and fall. I still get mad things and decisions and ways that I handled things. And all we can do, like we've said, is learn and honor right where we were right then. And honestly recognize too that that inner child of curiosity still exists then and now. And how beautiful to have that bridge who you were to who you are mm. yeah absolutely that's really yeah that's that's wonderful I remember the first time I ever spoke to you was um during a coaching call for like public speaking so it was ahead of my book tour um last year and I was terrified and you you and I had three conversations like and you helped me enormously I cannot even begin to overstate how much you helped me um, approach that from a completely different mindset. I don't know if I would have been able to do it without you. And I remember talking to you about discomfort, you know, and and kind of existing comfortably within discomfort. Um, but also I had this particular hang up about, because you said like, what do you think? What are you worrying about when you stand up in front of people? And it seems shallow, but I'm like, it, my physical appearance, like I don't feel like I'm allowed to take up space. And you said to me something Ooh. that kicked me in the guts so much that I think I might have literally lost my breath. You're like, well, you know, you can hold on to those thoughts if you want. 
you have a choice. You get to hold on to those thoughts that are keeping you stuck there or you can let go of them. And it was so plainly put, and I know you put it much more eloquently than me, but it was like <laughs> it was like that, <laughs> that episode of The Simpsons, you know, where Homer gets two hands stuck in the two vending machines and um, they're going to cut his arms off. And then just before they do that, they're like, are you just holding on to the cans? <laughs> and he's like, yes. And then his arms come out. And that's what it felt like. I could just yeah. choose to let go. Um, and I think that there's, there is an element to that too, because we carry these stories around of, of things that continue to dog us, you know, over the years of these, these issues that are, are kind of our issues. And at some point, and this is, I think, what you highlighted to me, we get to choose whether or not we're going to continue carrying those stories around or not. So how do we identify those stories? Oh, yeah. So we, as humans, love control. And so we have a lot of stories ruminating up there because, you know, our mind loves to protect us. And so there is a purpose for that. You know, you, you put your hand on the oven and it's hot. So you know not to touch the hot oven again. And that's imperative. It's important. And yet, sometimes we have stories and beliefs that perhaps got placed there, perhaps we inherited from our family line, or perhaps came out of something someone said to us when we were younger. And they stay because it's comfortable. They stay because we know the answer when we keep holding on to those thoughts. We know it's going to happen. And when we're looking at how to identify those, these are limiting beliefs or inherited beliefs that we are choosing to believe again and again about ourselves. Is it true? Is it not true? Um, am I enough? What will people think of me? Money is scarce. Money's hard. I'm not where I should be at this age, right? We look outside of ourselves and then we come back in. And the ability though to like really tune in can be so scary Oh, I went, you know, I never did this work in my 20s. I ne like late 20s, yes, but early 20s, I never liked to be alone because then I would hear the voices. So I'd have to distract myself with the full <laughs> calendar. And that does become still an MO that I live. And yet when I pause and listen, I can really ask myself, is there something I'm believing that's no longer serving me? Is there something on repeat in this record of my mind that I keep choosing? to try on because it's comfortable and I don't have to be scared and I can stay the same. And when I do that, I sit down with a big journal and I'll ask myself, like, especially those times when I felt really scared for you, it was standing in front of a crowd for someone else. Think about what it is that kind of makes you feel icky meeting your neighbor for the first time, going to a networking event with your business cards, <laughs> dating online, or perhaps it's having a really real conversation with your partner or a friend of yours or a no longer friend of yours. And what do you start believing about yourself that creates that pit in your stomach feeling, tense in your shoulders feeling? And when you can start to pinpoint those, can it be as simple as choosing to honor it and then let it go and choose a new thought? Yeah, and it's powerful, I think, D like difficult as anything, but really powerful to, to recognize. I mean, I think the, the realization that we do have choice is one that's both liberating and terrifying at the same time. Yes. So Elisa and I, we spoke about the, the word slow, you know, because this was sort of the, 
the lifestyle that she was shifting towards, slow living and slowing down. And I got a very strong sense by the end of our conversation that that word slow was actually proving to be really constraining for her. So we we shifted, you know, we shifted um, to perhaps thinking about the word intention instead, intentional living, um, because that sort of gives, gave her way more scope and also flipped this idea that working hard or doing a lot was a bad thing. Instead, she was going fast in order to go slow or she was going deep in order to be able to take down time or whatever it was that, that kind of made sense. Um, and I think that you find this with a lot of sort of, you know, quote, personal philosophies that over time they start to become constraining and they start to have more shoulds than freedoms attached to them. What do we do when you you find yourself shooting all over the place? You know, I should be doing this and I should be doing that um, rather than asking what would I like it to feel like? Well, when I start shooting all over myself, usually the should is like, who says? I do that. Like I should work nine to five. That's what everybody else is doing. That's what I should do. And then some days I'm like, well, who said? I have no answer. <laughs> And then you remember as a kid, well, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you? And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> and then the next piece, language. Oh, God, I love language. That is definitely something I love talking about is the rhetoric and the exploration of words in our own vocabulary. And so when slow is triggering, it might be that we're trying to be slow as defined by society, as defined by Brooke and her book, as defined by this person or that person. And when you can actually sit down and recognize that that word most likely doesn't have your own definition for it, that's what's creating the sandpaper feeling. And I love that you replaced it with intentional living. That really can provide someone with grace because intentionality is most likely a key to slow for a lot of people. And so when you start to break down the definitions, you then again have choice. You've given yourself keys to unlock the door of how your way. This is my style. I work really well with a deadline. I know my kids are back home from school at a certain time and my laser focus is a uh, gone. And so I do work quite quickly from 9.32 to 2.47 every day so that when they get here, I can close my computer and slow down and be with them fully. That's really nice. Like you, you're allowing that, yeah, that transformation. I get not only allowing it, you're creating the space for it to happen, and giving yourself the opportunity to fully show up. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, it doesn't matter what personal philosophy you you kind of follow. It's so easy to get caught up in the shoulds of what that looks like that you forget to actually pay attention to the life that you're living. And the whole point of, of any of them is to allow you to more fully experience life. And I think it's it's the ultimate irony that we get stuck in what it should look like so that <laughs> you get to the point where the living part of slow living or intentional living or whatever gets lost. Um, another thing that we spoke about was contentment, like finding contentment in the moment, you know, and, and presence in the moment. What... What works for you at the moment? I mean, for someone who you would always have things that you could you could be thinking about in the future, you could be thinking about projects, you could think be thinking about Monday's to-do list. How have you developed a practice of being present in the in the now? 
nailed it with the word practice yeah. because it is a practice for me. I fail often and I pivot and I learn often. I would say the ways I get present is eye contact. I know very old school of me, but eye contact with my children and my husband are a way for me to see and reflect back if I'm really there. Like, am I glazing over their eyes or am I going in? And there is a deeper sense of connection in eye contact if you really start to explore it. I know for some people that's uncomfortable. I love being uncomfortable. That means I'm present. If I'm uncomfortable, I'm present because I can feel that I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And then another piece for me would be, you know, really looking tactile strategically. If I'm going to close, excuse me, when, see that if will get you. When I close my computer, I really need to do a to-do list of anything that's unfinished for tomorrow. And so Mm -hmm. I'm able to let go of the day if I know that I won't forget something that's due in the morning or due next week. I'm not one to clean my email inbox out every day. When I do it, it's like, holy crap, someone get some champagne because look (laughs) what I did. However, I find I have clear to-dos and certain emails that do deem my attention. And so I make a to-do list that will be there. It will be right there tomorrow morning. And that way I can go be with my children and I fulfilled on the promises I've made that day. And then um, lastly, one of my values, one of my personal values is nature. And so I do spend right now a lot of time inside. I'm on my computer with clients taking recap emails and notes and talking. And, you know, I'm very attuned to my people. And so I can't be on a run during a client call. That's not how I roll. I'm so jealous of people that can be on the move. And yet I need to move immediately to get back into my my whole body versus my work body for the day, for the evening, for my kids. So it's, I mean, and that's one, that's another question that I had. Like how, do you, how do you infuse your day with your values when, you know, turning up for your work fully means that you're tilting all the way out of another value, but that's, that's exactly how you do it. It's just, again, that, that kind of swaying or swinging between different elements of yourself. Um, yeah. And I think that that, I think that's really important actually, because it, even as, you know, the values queen, as someone who speaks so powerfully about what it is to identify and stand in your values and live your values, you're, what you're saying is that you can't be showing up in all of them all the time. Perfection is so boring. However, something new I've been trying on, it's not necessarily new, but it feels new because I just recalibrated them, is I have a personal set of values and my professional values. And so that's been great for me to really align to my professional values that do support my best self at work, but also be able to um, honor my whole person in and out of work by knowing when work closes down. And so while I am a doer and I would love to be of service all day to my community, I also have made promises to my partner and my family and myself to honor the dynamic parts of myself beyond work, which is the hiker, the mother in me, which is the friend and the daughter and the sister in me, which is the curious explorer who loves to try 
all the new wellness modalities and honoring that space as well. I, I love that you have developed two sets of values, um, one for work and one for yourself. I'm just curious as we kind of wrap up, is there crossover between them? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, for the sake of exploring this experiment, have made them all very different words. But the best example I love to share is that who I am at my core, my personal values connection. Ooh, I love connecting people on email. I love connecting with people. I love Instagram. I love email. I love networking events with business cards. Like I'm that person. (laughs) I have to also connect into my children and myself because it can get crazy in the extrovert land. However, for my my business, my professional values, what I've found is while connecting is who I am at my core, what I'm building through my business is a community that cultivates space and vulnerability and belonging and connection. And so the word for my business is community and the word for my person, personal value is connection. I, that's a, thank you for explaining that because I, that's a question I'm asked kind of semi-regularly, you know, what if I feel like there's a disconnect between those two parts of myself? And I think that's really helpful to see how there is crossover, but also how you're allowed to have those two kind of separate groups of values and you're allowed to live in a way that means you turn up for them both at different times. And that's okay too. And they both support one another. Exactly. Like rarely is it going to be black or white or this or that, because it's all within one being, you, me, And so when we can, I love that you pointed that out, look for the connectors, the cycles, the bridges. That's where I've been doing the most work. Where does my professional life support my personal life? Where does my personal life support my professional life? Where does this value lean into that value? This is where I find it gets really dynamic and we aren't robots. We are dynamic, breathing beings who love control, who will never have control. So let's lean (laughs) into the ability to be dynamic in our offerings, in our gratitude, in our services and how we live. Beautiful. So one last idea that you and I spoke about very briefly before we hit record was the idea, you and I are both going through it at the moment, I think. It's this idea that we're going fast right now in order to go slow. And I think it's a nice way to kind of wrap our conversation up and and maybe help Elisa as well in, in let's not demonize the idea of busyness. Let's not, let's not make being busy or having a full um, schedule or going fast for periods of life be a, a negative thing if we are doing it in a way that makes sense for us as an individual to balance it out over time. Um, you know, do you have any parting words, I guess, on how to talk yourself through that and making that whole pendulum swing okay? First of all, I really love what you said about you get to, or you have to, or you choose to go fast to go slow. Some people forget the last part. So they just go fast forever and then they burn out or their body literally burns out and tells them, Hey, you got to slow down and maybe take a three day nap. And the ability though, to start to build that body awareness, I think is where choice resides. You're a gem, Jackie. (laughs) Thank you so much for just coming on and being so open and sharing and and practical as well. I mean, I'm sure that Elisa is going to find a lot of knowledge nugs in everything that you've shared. 
Um, but thank you. We've got to lighten up on ourselves. We make it so heavy and hard, which I know there's a time and a place for it. But I watched like eight blooper reels last night for some of my favorite shows because I had to. I'm like, <laughs> I need a brain break and a glass of wine and a blooper reel. I highly recommend it. I don't know. Have you seen Between Two Ferns? That is exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it last night. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.